Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of the Revelation Podcast. I'm the host of it. My name is John and I would like to thank you for taking the time to click on the link so you can hear what the word has to say through this. And in this episode, we will take a look at the book of Exodus and my goal from here on out is to work all the way up towards the end of Leviticus and with Exodus and Leviticus I want us to see Jesus in two of the five books of the law I want to see Jesus in this so that we see Jesus throughout the Bible. Now, in the book of Genesis, we definitely do see Jesus. He is in the beginning of creation. We see him throughout Genesis as the angel of the Lord. And when we look through Exodus today, we'll see that. We'll see that Jesus was the angel of the Lord. And when we go through that, we are going to compare to what the angel of the Lord says to what the angel Gabriel says. And you're going to notice the way they spoke that there's a difference. And with the angel of the Lord, you're going to see that it has the authority, the same authority as God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, what got me going in this direction was that last week, I was led by the Spirit to go to the book of Hebrews. And in the last month or so, I've been to the book of Hebrews at least four times. And it's a wonderful book to read you know and probably after I get towards the end of Leviticus I'm going to jump all the way into the New Testament and go right into the book of Hebrews and when I go through Exodus so that we can see Jesus in the book of Exodus I'm actually going to go over there for a little bit and you'll see why Now, to begin this episode, I'd like to go into Revelation chapter 21, and I'd like to read verses 6 through 8, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly unbelieving, abominable, murders, 
sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You remember when Jesus told people that they should not fear man because they really can only take the physical life, but they can't take the soul? Instead of being afraid of man, we should be afraid of God. Because he's the only one that could take both our physical life and our souls. Towards the end of verse 8, you heard something say, the second death. The second death is where the soul perishes forever. They will be in the lake of fire and they will be tormented forever. Ever. Now, it's not something that God did to them, but it's them going against God. You can see throughout the Bible that God is very gracious. He has given us time. Before the flood came, God gave man 120 years to repent. During those years, there were only eight people that were righteous. And that was Noah and his family. They overcame and they inherit God's kingdom. Now, a lot of people have misconception about the Bible. They think that the God in the Old Testament is different from the God in the New Testament. And that is not so. You know, you got your Bibles. You could turn to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. And check out what it says. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. And with this, I'm also reading New King James Version. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It says, For I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. This Old Testament passage starts off declaring Yahweh, I am the Lord. And in Exodus, we'll see that. In fact, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, I believe, was when the first time we hear God say, I am, after Moses asked him, who should I say to the Israelites on who you are? And God says, tell them, I am. And if you go to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, this is Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles. This Jewish feast occurred during the winter time. And I did say John chapter 8, verse 32. And actually, it's John chapter 8, 
verse 58. And this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Jesus said to them, Most surely I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. For that reason right there, the Jewish leaders wanted to execute Jesus for blasphemy. They did not see him as the Son of God because they were blinded by their self-righteousness. You know, we have a lot of people today that live according to their own code. We see the promoter a lot out west and this promotion is made into pictures so the whole world can see you have this dangerous ideology that's built on relativism they believe that whatever is right to them is right and it doesn't really matter. What you have within that world is a lot of friction. A lot of friction where people are trying to get to the top. Whatever way they can. They try to get to the top with deception. And there's something there's someone better than them that deceives and so they get further ahead and these are the end times or we are getting close to the end times with all the horrible things that we see these are just the birth pains of what's to come You know, I like to take us to Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three. And we will get to Exodus. Like I said, we will get to Exodus. But before going there, I want us to make us a stop in the New Testament in Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. Paul writes to Timothy. In chapter 3, he writes about the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And again, I'm reading the New King James Version. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Some version will say trouble. Some version can even say tribulation. Perilous, trouble, and tribulation mean the same thing. When we go to the book of Exodus, we will see God's children in trouble times. In verse 2, Paul writes, For men will be lovers of themselves we see that all over we see the ideology of man we see him craving the world so much 
It has such a hunger for evil that soon it will no longer care who knows. For men will be lovers of themselves and not just that. They will be lovers of money. We see man love money and materials more than God. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. And the next one we see quite a bit now. Disobedient to parents. In fact, right now, the parents are no longer around. So you have children be disobedient to whomever they like. They don't care what the law says until they get thrown in behind a black car. Then they panic and then they want their rights. You see, that's a great example on how Satan twists people. He uses them, abuses them, and then he kills them. And not only are these children disobedient to parents, they're also unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, these people, they love evil more than good. They love the devil more than God. They're also headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure. You could call these people Epicureans, they just want to feed the flesh with all kinds of lusts. They would rather be lovers of the flesh rather than lovers of God. Now, these dirty dozens are not just covered in black and dirt. They could also have appearance of godliness. We see this all the time on the so-called Christian TV. That these people, and I said, yes, these people. They have a form of godliness. But at the same time, they deny God. Jesus they deny that he is the way and they tell people that they can just go on and just live however they like because you know what it doesn't matter all the gods that we see are the same they're going to take us to the same place you see, this is what Paul wrote nearly 2,000 years ago. And when I read it, it's like he has seen the future. 
He has seen the troubled times. And these people also were in the time of Timothy. And they were also in the time of Moses. In verse 5, after Paul tells that these people will have a form of godliness, but denying Jesus... He charges Timothy and says, And from such people turn away. Now, in the New King James Version, verse 5 ends with an exclamation point. He wants Timothy to remember this, that we should turn away from godliness and evildoers. In verse 6, Paul continues on about people that have a form of godliness. For all this sort are those who creep into household and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Oh, there are a lot of sorrowful people out there. You know, those celebrities that they're loaded down with the flame. And they got all the bling bling in the world. Oh, what pitiful children they are so sorrowful and they're so desperate they keep finding truth their way and they come up short they're no different than the Egyptians that oppressed the Israelites in Exodus. Paul mentions them. To, Paul mentions two of them in verse eight. When he talks about Janus and Jamboris, he's talking about the sorcerers that tried to resist Moses. And Paul compares these two to the godliness in Timothy's time that these men try to resist God when they do this they also resist the truth their minds are so corrupt that they want to disprove the concerning faith but at the end, they did not progress any further than a God allowed them to. And the same thing with these people that try to make up their truth. They will progress no further. Their foolishness will catch up with them at the end. And then Paul tells Timothy, but... You, in other words, we, 
should carefully follow what is written in the word. We should consume the word daily. This is our bread. This is what our mind needs. You know, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit sanctifies our spirit, our soul, and our body. And you can see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, Now that may the God of peace, the God of peace refers to the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What does the Spirit of peace sanctify completely? Paul points out the three parts. The Spirit that gets regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The soul. Where the soul is where our thoughts and our emotion lays. We have to study the word daily so that the word could transform our mind and that we could be submissive to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, through our spirit and our soul, sanctify our body. So the soul controls the body. And the spirit should control the soul. And within the soul, we have the freedom to be submissive in the spirit or in the flesh. Based upon what we put in front of ourselves is how we are going to go. We are either going to put the word of God in front of us and live by it and have life. Or we're going to put Hollywood in front of our eyes and we will die. Now, yes, we are in God's hands hands and Satan cannot pluck us out however God does not hold those who do not want to go with him God has given us the freedom to either accept him or reject him now if you don't know what I'm talking about then that's going to mean at least two things Number one is you're not saved. You're still natural. And the word of God is not meant for natural, but for the spiritual. Number two, you have not been consuming the word enough to know what is in it. And so you're going to be easily deceived by that person that appears godly and sooner or later your flesh is going to be the right for Satan's picking your conscience is going to sear and when your conscience sears 
that's where you lose your salvation. And there's no guarantee coming back. If you don't know what I mean, go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, talks about those who were saved and later losing their salvation. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, the ones who were enlightened were the ones that believed. They were full of the Holy Spirit. And you can see that. And have tasted the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift is being Jesus. And have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. The only way you could be partners with the Holy Spirit is by being born again. By being born of the Spirit. And these people that believe did taste the word of God. Now go back to begin verse 4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened. From verses 4, 5, and 2, the first sentence of 6 go together. You see the comma in verse 4 between enlightened and you know, there's a list of things that clarifies that the enlightened one was safe. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again themselves, the Son of God, and put him to open shame. For the earth would drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. In verse 7, it talks about that those who are saved. But in verse 8, it talks about those who were saved. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near being cursed, whose end is to be burned. And no one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews, but a lot of people feel that it is Paul, and I feel the same way. And you heard me earlier mention on talk about having your conscience seared. Paul knew that that could happen to a believer. And I believe that he did see it. Let me see if I could find that in the word right here. Those who have their conscience seared. Let's see. It's in one of his letters to Timothy. Let me see if I could find it. Let's see. But that has now revealed and persuade wholesale pattern. 
I endure all things hardship. Let's see. Therefore, see a message. Let's see. different Bibles. One is deeply cut and diced. And I have one that's not as diced as much. And that one's kind of like my gentle one where I just want to meditate. I don't want to dig deep in it. You know, just want to have a little relaxation to it. But, you know, when we sear our conscience and Paul was aware that a person could have their conscience seared, and when we have our conscience here, that means we have cut our soul off from our spirit. And that is where I believe that you lose your salvation. You know, if you go all the way to Revelation chapter 3 verse 5, Christ says that if a believer does not overcome... He will blot out their name in the book of life. So, how do you get your name written in the book of life? By being born of the Spirit. Yes. And so I found it in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. He talks about... Well, let me reverse. Now the Spirit speaketh expressively. That in the latter times, in the later some shall depart from the faith. Those that were in the faith believed. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 6. That these were people that were enlightened. That means they were full of the Holy Spirit. They had the gifts. Then later on, they give to their flesh, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So Paul was familiar with people that were in the faith, but they fell into the thorn and briars then their conscience was seared. Our spirit speaks to our conscience. And when we have our conscience seared is when we lose our salvation. And so a lot of Christians think that when they fall into temptation that they will just return. And really, there is no guaranteed. So, we are in the birth pains of the end with all that is going on. And if you excuse me, I can take a little sip of water. Now, on to Exodus. We are going to see Jesus in 
Exodus. And we will be going until chapter four, chapter until chapter five. Jesus in Exodus, part one. And Jesus in Exodus, part one. We will go through chapters one through four. And we will see Jesus make his grand entrance in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 1 through 5, I believe, we see the promises of Abraham fulfilled. Exodus chapter 1 through 5 gives us the names of the children of God. And now I'm reading in the New King James Version. Not that I think it's better. Um, It's just the version that I have. And here we go. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, the oldest, Simeon, Levi, that's the tribe where Moses and Aaron will come from, and that's where the Levitical tribe comes off as well. And after Levi, you have Judah, that will be the line of the Messiah. In verse 3, you have Iskar. Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. For Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers. And all that generation. Now, if you go down a little bit past, let's say, I believe Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. Then the children of Israel journeying from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. So we see how many people were Israelites. At the beginning of Exodus chapter 1, we see that Jacob's descendants were about 70. And then nearly over 400 years later, 430 years later, we see the nation of Israel, which is a nation at the end of that time, we see about around 600,000 men besides children. So over a half a million made the Israelites. And so, Exodus chapter 1 through 5, 
we see the children of Jacob. And in Exodus, the promise to Abraham is fulfilled. We should remember that in Abraham, Genesis chapter 13, verse 16, you know, God promises Abraham that he was going to be a father of many nations. And that through Isaac and Jacob, that the Messianic will go down through their line. Now, we don't see Jesus in Exodus until in Exodus chapter 3. So, Exodus chapter 1 introduces us the nation of Israel that are under the bondage of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 2, it introduces us to the person that God would use to deliver the Israelites. And when we look into chapter 1, we're going to notice two things. Number one is we're going to notice the beginning of the prophecy fulfilled. You know, in Genesis chapter... Oh, beautiful. Alright. In Genesis chapter 15, I believe... In Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, Then he said to Abram, He is God. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. God was referring to the nation of Egypt. So in verse 8, the beginning of that prophecy begins. We see the Pharaoh and Egypt oppressed the children of Israel, which I like to refer as the works of the flesh. And to know what the works of the flesh are, Look into Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you remember at the beginning of this, I read from Revelation. And I want us to go back. I want to read it again so that you can see that 
Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 29 parallels of what I read in the beginning. So we see in and where is it? Yes, Revelation chapter 21 verse 8. But the cowards, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. These people, these unbelievers and believers will not inherit God's kingdom. This is the same message that was spoken to by Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And remember earlier on, I quoted Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, where it says, God does not change. So that smashes the misconception that there's a God in the Old Testament and there's a God in the New Testament. No, 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 no. There's only one God three in one god the father god the son and god the holy spirit they're all one and they work together they all have the same authority they have specific function and yet they could do each other's function because god is all powerful he is all knowing and he's omnipresent and there is no limit to him whatsoever. There was no one that came before him and there's no one that's going to come after him. No one did not show him how to create. No one didn't show him how to teach because God is God. You're going to see that in the book of Exodus and you're going to see that throughout the Bible and you could still see that today now going back to Exodus in Exodus chapter 1 verse 8 we see the beginning of God's prophecy about the nation of Israel being slaves to Egyptians for 400 years start in verse 8 and throughout verses 8 through 16, you're going to see the works of the flesh. And in verse 9, I've got verse 8. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, the Egyptians, look. The people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. So in verse 9, we see the works of envy and fear. Look at that when the Pharaoh said to his people, Look, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. When the Pharaoh sees the children of Israel mightier than him and his people, that is fear. 
And when he sees that there are more of them, that is envy. And look how the flesh works. Verse 10. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. In verse 10, we continue to see fear. And we also see deception with a thought of shrewdly. And so verses 11 through 16, we can see the acts of hate. And hatred is one of the works of the flesh. Now, let me say something about that. Everyone born in this world has that work. We are all born with hatred. You can't teach a child how to hate. Now, you could influence its hate, but a child already has a hatred in his heart. That is racism, jealousy, and envy, and murder at its core. Those things right there are influenced by hatred. Now, in God's law that we will also see in the book of Exodus, the first four commandments has to do with the relationships with our God the Father. It has to do with our vertical relationships. Commandments 5 through 10 deals horizontally. It deals with our parents and with our neighbors. Now Jesus said that I did not come to abolish the law but I came to fulfill the law he gave us a new commandment and that new commandment is to love one another and that does not just include people within the church but that also includes our neighbors that might not go to church if we love our neighbor then that means we are working the fruit of the Spirit. And to that, there is no law. When more and more people practice that, I promise you there will be less hate and racism will be less of an issue. Now, it won't go away until Jesus comes back. But it will. You know. In the new Jerusalem. There is no such thing as. Hatred. Now we see the acts of hate. In the book of Exodus. From the Pharaoh. And the Egyptians. In verse 
11 and 12, we see the Egyptians afflict the Israelites. And we see in verse 16 that they want to murder them like we do with an abortion. The Pharaoh tells the midwives, hey, listen, as soon as the Hebrew boys come out, you should kill them. Now, in Genesis, we see Jesus. We see Jesus in control. Remember, I said that he's the same God in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. He doesn't change his control did not stop in genesis but it continued onward into the next book and we see that remember when god promised abraham that he's going to be a father of many nations and that the messiah was going to come from his line do you remember that well you know what god's promises will always stand no matter what. And with the midwives, we see that. Now, the midwives knew. Verses 17 through 21. Look at this. Look how they felt after the Pharaohs told them that they should kill the son of Hebrews. But the midwives feared God. They feared God. You know, it was not like all of a sudden the Ten Commandments came along and all of a sudden people knew right then. They knew before that. And we know why. In Romans chapter 2 verse 15, Paul writes, They showed that the works of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. God gave everybody a conscience, including the midwives. They knew what they were doing was wrong. Murder is wrong they feared God in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge so these women that feared God were wise so God gave them wisdom to help them. And through them, God's promise carried onward. Now, in chapter 1 of Exodus, we see the 70 Israelites multiply into over a half a million. We see God's promise of Abraham fulfilled. We see his prophecy to him about his great-great-grandchildren being oppressed by the Egyptians. 
with the Egyptians, we see the works of the flesh. We see envy, fear, and hatred. And even with all that, we see the sovereignty of God move from Genesis and into Exodus with the Hebrew, with the midwives that would rather fear God than obey Pharaoh. They were like the apostles of the early church. If you go into the book of Acts, when John and Peter were persecuted for preaching Jesus, well, they told the leaders that they would rather obey God than man. Now, in chapter 2, God introduces us to his deliverer of his children. We see Moses being born out of the tribe of Levi. And I want to read about Moses' early life. From verses 3 to 11. And we are going to see what God did for Moses. To see that he will later be the deliverer that God wants. But when she could no longer... Well, let me go ahead and read at verse 2. I like. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dubbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister, Miriam, stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maids walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him. And said, This is one of Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, as she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away. And nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came to pass in those days. When Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens 
and he saw the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So we see from verses 3 through 10 that God's sovereignty continues beyond Genesis and into Exodus. We see that in the life of Moses, the deliverer that he chose to deliver his children out of the bondages of Egypt. So in verse 3, we see that God protects Moses, his chosen one, with an ark like he protected Noah and his family with the ark. Jesus protects us with his hand. In John chapter 10, verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life and they never perish now those that hear my said earlier i said oh whoa, whoa, whoa i thought you said you could lose your salvation well when we decide to depart from jesus yes but those that remain faithful to him will be protected they will have eternal life and Satan cannot snatch them out of his hand. So we see God is still in control and he provides. Now those that get God's favor also have good countenance. Look at verse 2. So where it describes Moses as a child. She saw that he was beautiful. He was beautiful. So we see that God made him handsome. And to see more about Moses, we have to look at the Testament of Stephen. So go to Acts chapter 7, verses 20 and 22. Now, this is Stephen before the Sanhedrin. And this is what he says about Moses. At this time, Moses was born and was pleasing to God. And I want you to underline pleasing. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deeds. So, we see from this passage that God gave him favor. We see that when... He was pleasing to God. And we see that when Pharaoh's daughter took him in. And next we see that he gave him wisdom to the Egyptians. And that Moses was mighty in deed and works. You know, God made his son the same way while he was in the world. In Luke chapter 2 verse 52 it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God 
and man. You know that when we are born of the Spirit and we are led by the Spirit, we too have favor from God. We have God's wisdom and we have the power and the authority like Jesus did. After Jesus was baptized, he was led by the Spirit to fast in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. I mention this because throughout the Bible, we see God send his son and his son's followers out to the wilderness. The wilderness will later be used for the Israelites' preparation. So, after Moses runs from Pharaoh, Pharaoh, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 years. Now, before God uses Moses... And with that, I'm going to Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. In verse 11, we picked up after where Moses is being grown by the Egyptians. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brother. In verse 11, we see that Moses had compassion and he wanted justice. Now, in verse 12, it did not turn out that way. And we see Moses' weakness that will later cost him. So he looked his way. And that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, in verse 14, we see that Moses became afraid. And so he fled from Egypt and he goes into the land of of Midian and I want to pick up in verse 16 now the priests of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and they filled their trots to water their father's flock then the shepherds came and drove them away but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock so we see in verse 17, we see Moses standing up for the weak and serving them. And in verse 21, we see that Moses becomes content with the life in Midian. He went from high class in Egypt to low class in Midian. He ends up marrying one of Jethro's daughter. And rule, I'm sorry, 
rule the father. When he came to rule their father, he ended up marrying one of his daughters, Zipporah. And she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom. Now, from Exodus chapter 2, verse 2 to verse 22, we see Moses going through a transition. We see Moses being born in slavery. He goes from being born into slavery to living in upper class until he was 40 years old. In that, we see God's sovereignty. We see him having God's favor. We see him having favor with Pharaoh. With that, Moses was able to receive the best education, which at the time was in Egypt. And then from Stephen's testimony, we see that Moses was mighty in word and in deed. It seemed that Moses was on his way to be the leader that could deliver his people out of the bondages of Egypt. Well, Moses' weakness prevented him from doing that. In verse number 12, we see the works of his flesh. We see his hatred, even though some would say is justified. Now, you notice that when Moses was about to murder the Egyptians, he made sure that he did it in secret. Because in his conscience and by written law, he knew that murder was wrong. And he tried to hide his sin. See, imagine if God did not deal with Moses in the way that he did. I believe that God sent, this is my opinion. I believe that God sent a spirit of fear. Now, some will say, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. And that's true. And at the same time, God is ruler over all the spirits. And that includes the evil spirits. He allows them to go as far as he will allow them to go. And that's why when Jesus came and cast out demons, they had asked Jesus for permission to go where they want to go. And that's a great example of how God has authority over all. And so, in my opinion, this is my opinion, I believe that God sent a spirit of fear to Moses. And it chased him out of Egypt. God had to humble Moses. You know, Moses, not knowing all of God yet, you know, he needed to be humble. So that's why at the end of Exodus chapter 2, 
we don't see Moses in high office, but we see him as a fugitive that goes to the land of Midian and becomes a farmer. He's at the low class. Now, in the closing of chapter 2, we read, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. They cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And listen to this. So God heard. So God heard. You see, God knows we go through suffering. He knows our cries. And at the same time, He knows our name. That's why Jesus told his disciples that when he left to go be with the Father, that he was not going to leave them as orphans, but he was going to send them a helper. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, guides us. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Let us not be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, let our requests be made known with God with thanksgiving and the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds well in Exodus chapter 3 we're going to see Jesus and we're going to see him as the redeemer in Exodus Exodus chapter 3 And I look forward to continue onward with Exodus, with Jesus and Exodus. We got through Exodus chapter 1 and 2. And in the next podcast, we'll go to Exodus 3 and 4 to start seeing Jesus in the book of Exodus. Well, I hope you enjoy listening to us, and I look forward to going through Exodus so you can see Jesus in the second book of the Bible. Thank you for listening.